Welcome back to part two. What is the overall developmental need of the Christian leader who identifies as a hero child, as always having been good and being known for doing good things? What is our developmental need? Our need is to fail fantastically, profoundly, powerfully, and yet live. We live in fear of the 67. We live in fear of the comment card. We live in fear of the critique. We live in fear of the thumbs down on social media or people who don't follow us anymore. We live in fear of someone else having the spotlight. But the truth is, we are going to make mistakes. I made a mistake, um, a big mistake, about a year into my presidency here. And it affected several people in, in a really um, harmful, negative, embarrassing way. And all I could do, I can feel the feelings coming back around the event, all I could do was apologize to the people that I hurt, ask the Lord for, for, for forgiveness, and move on. Did it create scar tissue? Absolutely. The fact that I just felt it in the back of my eyes tells me there's still some scar tissue there. So why would I say that hero children need to fail successfully? Because, listen to this, if you don't get anything else out from this two-part podcast, listen to this. As kids, we were conditioned, trained to believe that if we were good enough, we would earn love. Nobody ever said it. No, everybody wrote it down. People weren't even having that conscious thought. We weren't. Mom and dad weren't. Teachers weren't. But we learned early on, hero, ch hero children learn, that the better they are, the better they behave, the more they perform, the more goals they score, the more baskets they, that they shoot well, the better the reaction from people around them. And the more I succeed, the more love and attention I get. That's great, as long as your graph is always up and to the right. However, real life intervenes and we cannot, it is impossible to always be up and to the right. Every single one of us has days where we get a 67. The key to healing as a hero child is what we do on a 67 day. So I want to say something simply, but it's not simple to do. But I want to challenge you. On the next moment in your life when you have a 67 moment, I want you to intentionally imagine in the quiet of your own mind, in the quiet of somewhere, lights off, Bible open. I want you to imagine that you're literally moving closer to Jesus. That you're literally moving closer to accepting your own mistake. And entertain the idea that people will still love you. We must embrace our failures because it allows us to experience what we've always needed all along, and that is grace. Now, I can't get through the next few minutes without getting tearful. But I can tell you as a lifelong hero child how challenging it is to believe with all my heart every day that grace is always good enough. 
It is hard to believe every day that grace always covers up the distance between my score and 100. Whether I missed 33 points or three, or even a single point, grace always saves. I rediscovered Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 when I was in college. I'd known it as a child and as a, as a high school kid in a youth group. But in college, I, I became a full-fledged, full-blown perfectionist. I'd always had the tendencies, but I went crazy in college because I thought if I could always get a 4.0, that I would be better, that I would be noticed more, more important. And I did not get a 4.0 one year. And I was devastated because I wanted to have a 4.0 all the way through college. And in that turmoil, now if you're not if you're not a student-oriented person, you've already you've already checked out. But if you're a student-oriented person, you know what I'm talking about. I wanted to be a 4.0 person, and I wasn't. I was close. And I rediscovered Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And and you know what it's like. When you know scripture well, you don't always see it well. But I'll never forget the day I rediscovered Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 toward the end of college. Just the simple words to the church at Ephesus from Paul, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not that anything you did mattered. That's my translation. Not yourself. This gift, this grace is a gift of God. Not as a result of your goodness, your works, your score, so that none of you can boast. Truth is, in Christ's economy, none of us should have trophy cases. And that's upsetting to a lot of Christian leaders. And we rack up wins and we put our life on the wall and we believe our own press clippings. And yet, our Father has one size trophy case for all of us. And all that's in it is a cross. And all that matters is that we claim the gift, that we repent from our egotistical ways, our narcissistic tendencies, and realize, God, I, as a veteran pastor, as a veteran leader, as a college president, it is only by your grace that I ever succeeded anything. Because the truth is, these gifts that we're so proud of, they were given to us. So, of course, we should use them. But it's not our identity. Some of you guys are great communicators, and you get a lot of positive attention for it. You were given that gift. I know you work it, and you hone it, and you try to perfect it. But you were given that. Some of you are charismatic leaders, and you always have been. You were given that gift. All we can do to earn our salvation is respond in faith to God's grace. So why am I spending so much time on this? I'm spending so much time on it because our Christian organization culture, our family culture, our church cultures are way more secular than sacred when it comes to how we develop worth and value. I know pastors who won't go to conferences because they lead a small church. In their mind, their church is too small. They don't want to go to a pastor, to a pastor's conference, because they don't want to have to admit 
how small their church is. What's wrong with us? Some people don't want to go things because the 67 is always in front of them and they can't associate with people that they don't think get 67s. Here's what I'm here to tell you as somebody who has 6,000 hours of clinical experience counseling. Everyone in the world has a box full of 67s. And the people in your life that you think never ever could have had a 67 probably have an extra big box of them. Now, that maybe that sounds <laughs> maybe that sounds cynical to you, but that has been my experience is whether we admit it or not, we all know that we have failed. One of the reasons Christian leaders burn out is they have never broken their habit of work for praise, praise for work. Let me say that again. They've never broken the habit of work for praise and praise for work. This addictive cycle of getting more and more and more and more affection, adulation, attention, becoming more and more renowned for anything. More likes, more views, more people, more awards. Man, in the, in the college industry, it's we were on the U.S. News and World Report this many times, this many. There's always some trophy that we're chasing. And yet, God calls us as broken leaders to stop chasing the trophy and rest in him. Now, here a child hears that and thinks, well, then nothing's ever going to get done. <laughs> all, the, all the Marthas in the world hear that and go, that's the dumbest idea I can think of. We're all going to sit on the couch and the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Right? We can't let the world go to hell. We have to save everyone right now. We have to fix everything right now. Now, I hope that that language didn't freak you out because that, I'm just being transparent with you. These are the kind of ways that we think. It's very extreme, it's very immature, it's very black and white, it's all or nothing thinking. That I'm either all good, productive, and lovable, or I'm all bad. That's just, that's just so wrong. Why? Because none of us are all good, and none of us are all bad. I do know this. One of the most important stories for us in scripture for those of us that are leaders who are overachievers, is a story of Saul's conversion. In Acts, it's recorded three times, chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. That's for Dr. Nelson, my New Testament survey professor, my first year at college. I still remember those three chapters. And you look at those accounts and you think, why, why, the, why this account three times? Why is it that important? Well, Paul was one of the most influential figures in, in the modern world, is, was. And there's a lot of real estate dedicated, dedicated to it in my New Testament. Why, why is it such an important story? It's such an important story because it rewrites the worth of an important person in light of grace instead of works. Saul was a, a zealot, a Pharisee, a scholar, probably a well-to-do kid from a well-to-do family. Certainly they had a lot of privileges. He was a zealot. He was out to get rid of this, this crazy group of people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he checked off every box he could check off 
in his pursuit of righteousness, of rightness, of worthiness. And he pursued and he pursued and he attacked and he attacked and he may have been there when Stephen was stoned. He may have been literally at that event. So how do you go from that to Paul? You do it because of a Damascus Road experience. And I'm going to say something and it's going to sound melodramatic and I don't want it to be. I want you to really think about this. If you've been identifying with most of the traits of a hero child, I want to ask you a serious question. Have you in your life yet had a moment or season in your life where all of the things broke down and you finally got it? Where you were stunned by the light in the road and realized I can't keep working this way. I, I cannot define myself in terms of the number of people in my church, the profit on my P&L statement, the success of fill in the blank, or my reputation in this arena. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I have to reset. The Damascus Road experience is one in which I take my old pursuits I abandon them and I bathe in the light of the conviction of the Lord and the Holy Spirit and I follow Jesus because that is what's good for me and it's what's good for the kingdom. I'm, I'm struck by the fact that in the story of Martha and Saul, I'm, I'm reading into the account with Martha, but I'm, I'm pretty confident in the account of Saul that those moments are usually followed by silence of just sitting and reflecting in the big question. Why would I want to continue being works-based when grace is available to me? We talked in the other podcast about here, now, and close. And what I would say to hero children, leaders, is we're always chasing, trying to get to here, now, and close, and we're running, 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 and yet all we need to do is rest and be bathed in the warmth of the light of grace. It doesn't feel good. Hero children do not love the concept of grace because it feels unfair. At the very root of our sickness as performers is the idea that things are fair only when I define them as fair and they're only fair when you work hard and get a great result. I would ask you if you need to reconsider the kernel of the truth of the gospel. And I would ask you to redraw your picture of success. And you're probably going to have to have people that love you hold you accountable. I'm not saying Stop setting goals. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, can you destroy your trophy case? Am I willing to take down my diplomas? If I'm not willing to take those down, there's a problem. If I'm not willing to break my trophy case, there's a problem. One of the reasons we struggle with the thought of retirement is we know we will have to take our name badge off and we'll lose our titles. 
and then what will happen? Guess what? Our titles don't matter. They never really have. The only title that matters is that I'm a Christ follower and that I am saved by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work so that none of us may boast. The weaker we are, the stronger he gets to be. The more flawed we are, the more remarkable it is when things go well, because he always makes up the distance between the 67 and the 100. Let me close in prayer for you, okay? God, this is a hard talk to get through because, uh, God, I am I'm way too much of a hero child still. And I'm, I worry about so many things, and I know so many people listening and watching do too. We worry about the wrong kinds of things. We worry about secular results instead of sin and repentance and grace. We worry about our reputations instead of the reality of a relationship with Jesus. We worry about whether or not people love us instead of doing the right thing. So God, help us to, to reset and to be found in you, not our works, to be loved by you, not defined by our performance. And God, that is just so hard for so many of us that lead. We have confused our idea of success, and God, I need you to help us redo it. I need you to help me redo it. Lord, we know that success is just believing that Jesus died for each and every one of us. But the Holy Spirit is here now and close. And that if we're lucky enough to have some gifts, we should use them to the best of our ability. And whatever's the gap is left, God, I pray that you would actually help us to see and know that you're filling in the rest. Thank you for always filling in the rest and for using us in spite of our flaws, for using us in spite of our imperfections, of our sins, of our selfishness, of our narcissism. God, continue to heal us to be broken but very effective leaders because of you in us not because of us alone bless my friends keep them hold them fill them in jesus precious name amen god bless you